Lord, I don't comprehend most of what you speak to my heart. Lord, only a small fraction. Right now, Lord, you are speaking to people through this time of worship that we've had. God, you have given me personally, you have given me comfort and you have given me rest. And Lord, I just thank you, God, for a time to lean into you and your Holy Spirit. God, it has been overwhelming just to experience being, Lord, in your presence and Lord, in my heart. God, I've just, I felt like I've been so close to you the past few minutes. God, my heart is heavy for people that don't feel close to you. I feel alone. They feel as though nobody cares. Lord, you have made me aware over the past two weeks now of six people, God, that have either attempted suicide or have been on the very edge of suicide. God, I don't know why. I don't know why people are either hurting so bad or I'm just more aware of it. God, but whatever the case may be, I know the one who has the answers. So Lord, let us lean into you right now. Let us look to you for the answers. Father, I'm asking you to speak to your people. I have no words. You have the only word that counts. So, Lord, I'm asking you to speak. Speak not to ears, but to hearts, Lord. You have the power. Help us to surrender, Lord, to you, to your word. God, to your grace and your mercy and your strength and our weakness. Be glorified now as we look at what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, today my heart is heavy. And to be very honest with you, I, I don't know how today's message lines up with what keeps being brought up, and that is the devastation that is in people's lives and people being so depressed, so overwhelmed with life. And I don't, for the life of me, understand how that matches up with today's message. But we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to let Him speak, and we're going to tune in closely to what He has to say. We've been in a series recently about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is all about building walls. See, what's happened is the walls in Jerusalem have been torn down. They've been broken to pieces and nobody in Jerusalem seems to really care anymore. They don't really care so much about the fact that the walls are torn down. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king and he's in, he, he's in Babylon and he's some 700, 800 miles away and he gets word back from his buddies that the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. The holy city of God, the very place that represents the presence of God, is broken down and nobody seems to care. And Nehemiah, he gets so broken over it. I mean, he spends time 
from, from the fall to the spring, praying, seeking God's will, weeping over the fact that the walls are torn down. And finally, the king asked him, he says, what can I do to help you, man? What can I do? The king asking a servant, what can I do to help you? And Nehemiah is ready with an answer. Well, this is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need letters so I can get passage into the places I need to get into. I'm going to need wood to build some walls. This, this is the stuff I need. I'm ready to go. You say the word, king, and I, I'm ready to go. So Nehemiah goes back and he starts inspecting the walls himself. And he takes a few guys with him and they start looking at the walls and how broken they are. He doesn't just take the word of the guys that, that had sent him word. He goes out and he inspects the walls for himself. And we talked about how our, our lives are like that. Our lives have got weak spots. We've got places that are broken down. Our, our spiritual walk with Christ has got holes in it. And we need to take some time to do some introspection and see exactly where those, those holes are. And be open and be honest about what's going on in our lives. And not only in our own lives, but in the church as a whole. Because you realize that, that this is the body of Christ, right? That, that if, if we're the body of Christ, then, then each of us is a member of that body. That's where the term member comes from. Everybody talks about the church having members. That's where that term comes from. Because we're members of the body of Christ. And we all have a responsibility. One of the toughest challenges I've ever faced as a pastor, and I continue to face daily, is how to to impress upon people how important the work is that we're doing. I mean, when things are new and, and things are different, everybody gets all fired up and, and you'll have a ton of people in church and they're, they're packing, packing the place and, and, and people are all fired up about the work and, and like, man, let's do this, let's do that, we need to do the work. And then what happens is after a few months, they get tired they say, well, the work isn't that important after all. It's not that big of a, a deal that the walls are torn down. And they get complacent and they say, it's been that way for a long time. What difference is it going to make if, if we come in now and start rebuilding walls? Well, what, I, what I've seen this past couple of weeks is that there's some people with some really broken down walls, some real big holes in their life that feel like that they're alone and they're terrified about it. They feel like nobody gives a rip. And what I said in our prayer circle back there a few minutes ago, when I was talking to our team and our worship team and our leadership team, we were praying. I said, apparently this work that we've been called to is pretty important. Because people's lives depend on it. People's lives depend on it. Not just their physical lives here on this earth, which is dependent upon it, but their eternal lives. And where they spend all of eternity. This is eternal work that we're doing here. And if you can't stay motivated about that, I don't know what else to say to keep you motivated. I don't know what else to say to get you fired up. This is eternal work. And not only do people's physical lives depend on it, their spiritual lives and where they spend all of eternity is dependent upon the work. You see, because God uses us as his people. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. And that's how he works, is through us. And that's how he worked in Nehemiah, is through the people. God could have just spoke the word, and he could have created walls in a second. 
God could have built the walls back himself. If the stones can cry out, then surely to goodness they can stack themselves on top of each other. Right? But God chooses to use people, his people, to rebuild the walls. God chooses each and every one of us to help those people that are struggling and hurting and feel like they're all alone to do the work. To help those people rebuild their walls. You know why? Because we're members of the same body. We all have a responsibility and the foot can't say to the, the arm, you're not as important. Because we all have a job to do. We all have work to do. Some people say, man, they can't wait till they get to heaven. They don't have to work anymore. I believe God's going to give us jobs when we get in heaven. You know that, right? Now, I don't believe it's a job you got right now, okay? I don't believe it's got anything to do with calculators or writing stuff down on paper. But I believe there'll be work to do when we get to heaven. And I don't want to be so complacent here on this earth then when I get to heaven, the work's going to be a new thing. Working for the kingdom of God is going to be a new thing to me. I want to work hard here for the kingdom of God. I want to store up treasure in heaven for the, for the things that really count. And, and when I look at this particular passage in Nehemiah, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, I don't know if anybody read ahead a little bit, but you probably looked at this chapter and went, do What? I don't even get what it's talking about here. Well, let's take a look. Let's see if we can get something out of it. Now, here, here's, I have strength and, strengths and I have weaknesses. One of my weaknesses, by the way, in case you didn't know this about me, is that I am terrible at pronouncing Hebrew names. That happens to be one of my worst things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fumble through these names, and you guys are going to smile, and you're going to encourage me with your smiles, and you're going to act like that I have said every one of these correctly, okay? All right. I appreciate that. Because y'all have a responsibility too, just like I have a responsibility up here. And now people, I'm telling you, I, I have, I've, got, I've got my Bible on my phone, right? And, I have, and, and it's, it, it speaks to me, okay? Not just, but it literally speaks to me too, you know, because i got a dude that reads the Word. So I have been over these verses like 20 times trying to get these names right. And I'm going to mess them up today, but that's okay, all right? We're going to fumble through them, and we're going to smile about it, right? All right, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> this is one of those things that makes me like, I'm like, Lord, I feel so comfortable doing other things. This I happen to feel terrible about doing. It's all right. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. Now, I'm not going to go through the, old, the whole uh, chapter 3. Uh, because it, it's, it's a little bit repetitive, but I want you to see the picture of what's going on here. And I also want you to, to not have to suffer through me fumbling over these names over and over and over again. So we're just going to go through the first 14 verses of Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Elisha, the high priest, and the other priest started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hanel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them and beyond the town of Zechar, the son of Emir. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hesanah. They laid the beam, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Hemeroth, the son of Uriah, the grandson of Hakaz, repaired the, section, the next section of wall. Beside them 
where Meshulam, son of Bersika, and the grandson of Meshebel, the, the, and the son, the, and Zadok, the son of Bana. Now, you see where I'm going with this, right? It's hard, right? Anybody who wants to challenge me on this, I'll give you the microphone, and you can come up here and say it for me. And I'll just smile at you. I'll encourage you as you stumble through these names. Next were the people of Tekoa. I actually know that one. I remember that one. Through their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. The old city gate was repaired by Jehoiada, the son of Peshah, and Meshulam, son of Behosadai. They laid the beams, set up its doors, installed its bolts and bars. Next to them were Matila and from Gideon, Jadon from Maranoth, the people from Gibeon, and the people of Zephoth. The headquarters of the governor of the providence west of the Euphrates. Next to them was Uziel, son of Herai, the goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond them, Hanani, a manufacturer of perfumes, left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the, the broad wall. All right, I'm just going to stop there. I can't take it anymore, and y'all can't take it either. All right. Yeah, the Lord wanted to stretch my faith in that particular area right there. I'm telling you, I, it doesn't matter how many times I study. It's so hard to get those names. Anyway, so you, you may look at this passage, and I mean, you can, I mean, like verse after verse after verse after verse, and it's the same stuff. And you're like, well, so what, man? That's great. That's great. That's what's the big deal about, man? This is recorded. This is this person worked on this section of the wall, and this person worked on this section of the wall. That's great, man. What does that mean? I mean, I got, I like, I was thinking about this, and I was like, I could really preach for about an hour and a half on Nehemiah chapter three. Now, thankfully for you guys, I'm not going to do that, but. I'm just saying there is so much here if you really look and you, you take off the blinders for just a second and see what it's really saying here. Let me, let me say this from the, first, uh, from the get-go, something that, that jumps out at me right here. I mean, without, I mean, I'm stumbling over these things. You know what jumps out at me? Is that the work really matters. Who worked on the wall mattered. It mattered so much that God put it in his word. It mattered so much that God wrote down the names. He wrote down where they were from. He wrote down what section of the wall that they worked on. Apparently, the work matters to God. Apparently, God cares a whole lot about who's doing the work. And, and, and it says something. It says, because a lot of people, they think this. They think this. Well, I'm not going to do the work. It doesn't really matter that much. Imagine, if you will, for a second... That God says, all the work that you do here on this earth, I'm going to write it down. And I'm going to record it. And everybody for all of eternity is going to get to look at it and watch it and see exactly the work that you did. How much work do you think you would do then? How much work do you think you would do if they said, every single thing that you do, I'm going to make a list. I'm going to make a list. This is where they ministered to this person because they were hurting and struggling with cancer. This is, this is where they, they, they went to the, the church and, and set up chairs early. This is where they, 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 they put envelopes in the back of chairs. How much work do you think you would do then? I'm guessing it would probably be a whole lot more work than you're doing now. Am I right about that? Apparently the work matters. So much so, in, in this particular passage, every single one of the people... Their family names got recorded. Where they worked was recorded. Where they were from was recorded. Apparently, the work matters. 
And here, we see a couple of things. You know what I like? This is what I did. One of the things I like is about how this passage starts off. Elisha, the high priest, and the other priest started to rebuild the sheep gate. <laughs> that verse ain't for y'all. That one's for me. You know what that says to me? The priest got to do the work too. They aren't exempt from the work just because, just because they're the priest. The priest, <laughs> they rolled up their robes and they got their hands dirty and started rebuilding gates. As a matter of fact, he goes on later in the chapter to say that they built something else too. So the priests are chipping in and they're doing work alongside the other people. You know why that is? Because we're all part of the same body. We're all members of the body of Christ. And we got a responsibility to do work together. And I got a responsibility just like you got a responsibility. And my responsibility ain't no greater than your responsibility. We're all part of the same body and we all got to work together. Because I don't know if you recognize this or not, but it would be very fruitless of me to stand up here and preach if there ain't nobody out there. We all got a responsibility. We all got work to do. So here the priest, they get up there and they get their hands dirty. And they get in there and work beside other people. They start rebuilding the gates. And I love that. I love that. You know what else we see throughout this passage? We see that, you know what everybody's doing? They got their own little section, their own area of responsibility. And for most of them, it was, it was the area closest to their house is the wall that they worked on, Right? What does that say to us? That you all got an area that you need to work on in the wall? If we're all part of the same body, we got an area that we need to focus on so the body is strong? And maybe we need to focus on the areas closest to our house? Maybe, maybe that's what God's trying to show us here is that we all got work to do. We all got to help rebuild the wall. And why don't we start closest to home? That'd be a great place to start, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if the body of Christ started working at home, started working on the, on the holes that are, that are missing in their home, around their home? They say, you know what? I may not be able to fortify everybody's home, but I can fortify my home. Can you imagine the difference it would make in the body of Christ if that's the way we started, doing the work at home? See, here, here's what happens a lot of times. I get this a lot, and please, if, if you've done this, please don't, don't take this the wrong way. We are the spiritual leaders, and, and, and we want to help you and help your family in any way we can. But this is what I get a lot of times. This was more so in youth ministry when I was, when I was doing college ministry and high school ministry. This is what I would get. Parents would say, here, fix my kid. Here's my kid, fix them. I'm going to bring them to church, and I'll make sure they're here every Sunday. Will you please fix my kid? I go, we're 16 years into this. What you want me to do in the next two months? Fix my kid. Fix my kid. Like, well, look, it is phenomenal that you understand that you've got to bring your child to church, and it, it is great, but we're 16 years into this. It's phenomenal that you want to be here and you understand that God's the answer in and. And, and, and there's no other way that, that your family's going to be repaired unless you bring them to church. And, and I got that. But I want you to understand, we're 16 years into this. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some work. And the parents go, what? 
What? It's going to take work? Good, you do the work then, youth pastor. You do the work, pastor. Fix my kid. Do the work on them. And I go, what about the work at home? What about the broken down walls at home? Are, are, are you talking to your kids about Jesus at home? Are you talking to your kids about the importance of having a relationship with Christ at home? Are you setting an example for them at home, showing them what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus? Like, let's, let's start at home first instead of starting at the church. But people won't. What do they want, man? They, give me that magic potion, whatever it is, whatever that Jesus juice that you're drinking. Give me some of that because I'm going to poison my whole family with it. I'm like, drink up, man. He's the living water. Why don't you live by example? I can't fix your kids. I can't fix your family. Now, I know a guy who can, and I'll be happy to point you to him. But I can't do it. The only way that you're going to be able to get there is by starting with you and starting with your own home. Now, I'm not telling you that I can't help you because I'll do everything I can to help you. But you got to be willing to do the work, right? You got to be willing to do the work because we're all part of the same body and we help each other. And when they're building these blocks and putting, them, putting things together, man, these blocks... <laughs> You can't just build like this wall right here and then this wall right here. You know if you've ever put Legos together, they got to interconnect, don't they? You got you to build on each other. You know, you gotta, and the only way the walls, because if the wall is just one segment right here, you can just push it over. But when the wall interconnects, when it's held tight together, then you can't do anything with it. It's going to stand strong. And that's why as body, a body of believers, that's why I encourage you to be part of small groups. Oh, God, he's bringing up small groups again. He's bringing up the fact that i got to rely on other Christians to lift me up, to pour into me, just like I have to do the same thing to them. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's the truth, y'all. The reason we're so big on small groups is because that wall's got to inter interconnect. And we got to be building our walls together, not a wall separately. we got to be building our walls together so that it's strong. So that it won't fall down when the wind comes. Or somebody tries to push it over. And here we see people, number one, working together. All different walks of life. You got priests. You got a perfume. You got a perfume dude in there. We read about a perfume guy. Now, personally, <laughs> I know y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Like, if I'm going to be recorded in the Word of God as one of the guys that built the wall, yeah, woo, you know, that's awesome. But I don't want to be known as the perfume guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's what he did. We all got our own calling in life. Turns out he was called to be a perfume guy. That's okay. But the perfume guys, they're working alongside the priest, working alongside masons. I mean, they're like all working together to build this strong wall. And they started with the walls near their house. It's a great place to start. Now, this is what else I see in there. You see some people that come from other cities to work, too. Did you notice that? There, there's some cities in there 
that, that like people have come from other cities to help build the wall. Now, then we talked about this, uh, the fact that, that Jerusalem rep- represents the very presence of God. And, and when the walls are torn down, it looks, it looks like to everybody else that this is a disobedient group of people. So it, it reflects on them too. Even though they don't live in the city, they come from other cities. Because this represents the family of God and when we care about how that looks. Let me tell you something. When you start doing work, when you really get after it and start doing some stuff to build some walls and, and fill in some cracks and gaps in your life and in the church, this is going to draw people in. They're going to be like, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to I be a part of what's going on over there. I, I don't want to sit idly by and let somebody else build walls and let that reflect on, on the people of God. I want to be part of that building process. It's going to draw people in. Can you believe for just a second that us serving other people, like serving the people in Haiti, will draw people into this place so they can hear the word of God and be part of this family? That our work not only will impact the people of Haiti, but it will impact the people around here because they'll see the work that's going on and they'll say, I want to be a part of that. It's, It's almost crazy the way God works. It's almost unbelievable. It's almost amazing, right? It's almost like we can't actually wrap our minds around all the stuff that God's doing. That's why God says, you be faithful with a little bit and I will give you much. Just do what I've called you to do. But we we see something else in here. Let's see if I can find it in the midst of all these Hebrew names. Verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 3 says this. Next were the people of Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. Hmm. You mean there's some people that didn't want to work? There's some people that refused to work? Well, how would you like for your name to be recorded like that in Scripture? The people of Simple Church refused to work, recorded in the Word of God. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, but I don't want that written down about me. I don't want to be known as one of the people that refused to work. I want to be known as somebody that says, you know what? When everybody else left, when everybody else had gotten tired and weary and went home because they didn't want to work anymore, he was still there. That's how I want to be recorded. When everybody else was saying, you know what? I'm tired this weekend. I'd rather just sleep and watch football. I want to be recorded as a guy that said, you know what? He's still working. He's still working. I like football. I really do. And I'm not getting on football. I'm telling you, I know, I know what I like more. I, I know exactly what I like more, and that's Jesus. And I, I like working for his kingdom, and I like storing up treasure in heaven. I really do. I like that a whole lot more. And, and, and trust me when I tell you that Jesus is a whole lot better than football. He really is, man. He really is. And when I work for the kingdom of God, man... It, I know people put me down a lot because they say, man, you do too much, and I get that, and I've gotten on myself about that. But, man, I love the work. I love the work. And here we've got some people recorded, the people from Tekoa, the only name I can pronounce in this whole passage. And they're recorded as the people that refuse to work with the construction supervisors. 
Man, I don't want to be recorded like that. I don't want... You know, when Matthew chapter 25 says... Jesus talks in parables quite a bit. In this particular parable, he's talking about the parable of the talents. And, and if you remember the parable of the talents, this is how it goes. I'm going to summarize it for you. There's a guy with one talent, two talents, and five talents, okay? And he gives them to these people, and he says, okay, when I come back, you, you take care of these talents, and I'm going to be back in a little while. I'm going off, and I'm, I'm going on a trip, and I'll be back, and what do you do with these talents? Well, the guy with five talents, you know what he did? He invested it, and, and he doubled the talents. The guy with two talents did the same thing. And the master was pleased because they did something with it, what had been given to him. But the guy with one talent, he, just, he said, man, I was afraid that I would lose this one talent, so I just went and buried it in the ground. And he said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. When the master came back, he had told the other two, Enter into the glory of your king. And the other one, the one that just took his one talent and, and, and buried it and said, ah, I was too afraid I would lose that one talent, so I just wanted to hang on to what I had. And, and the king said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Here's what I'm telling you. A lot of times people will use the fact that they don't have a lot of talents, a lot of quote-unquote gifts, so they won't do the work. They'll say, well, well I, I, I'm, not, I'm not gifted as much as you, or I don't have as many abilities as you have, so, so I'm not going to do anything. And they'll use that as, a, as, as an excuse not to do any work. And they'll say, well, I'm not, I can't really do a whole lot of work, so I'm not going to do anything. And I believe Jesus looks at that, and he says, really? But I gave you one talent. I gave you one ability. I gave you one person. What did you do with it? You did nothing? Is that really the way we're supposed to work? As kingdom builders, we're supposed to do nothing? I imagine there's probably some kids in here. As a matter of fact, if you go on and read this passage, there's two daughters that work alongside their dad. I know, right? Two young ladies working along. How, many, how much do you think that they built? How much wall do you think they repaired compared to these big, strong, husky men that could probably lift 250 pounds worth of block and, and, and like, I mean, they're like the bricklayers and they're, they're just getting after it? Now, let me tell you something. These two daughters, it didn't keep them from working just because they couldn't do very much. They're still recorded in God's word as having worked alongside their dad and they're still working trying to rebuild the walls. So don't tell me for one second that you don't have a lot of abilities and that's the reason you ain't working. Because that's against the word of God. God says, just be faithful with a little bit that I've given you. That's all I ask, is you to be faithful with the little bit that I've given you. Now some of the work ain't pretty. Some of the work ain't pretty at all, as a matter of fact. If I look in here where I was planning on stopping originally, verse 14 says, The dung gate was repaired by Malachi, son of Rechab. The dung gate. Yeah, man, that's how I want to be remembered as the guy that repaired the dung gate. 
The dung gate is where they took all the refuse, where they took all the trash. It was the dump, okay? And these are the guys that are working on the fence that protects the dump. Everybody's like, well, that's awesome, man. I'm sure that was a great job. You know what I know about the dung gate? Number one, it was probably smelly, and it was probably nasty, and they probably didn't get a whole lot of credit for working on it. But if the enemy were to attack, you know where they would come if they hadn't repaired the dung gate? They would have come right in that area because it hadn't been worked on. So somebody's got to do that dirty work. Somebody's got to do the work that nobody else wants to do. I, I don't know how to tell you this, but, but sometimes the work in the church, whether it's ministering to people or taking out the trash, sometimes it's dirty work. Sometimes it ain't real pretty. Sometimes it stinks, literally. Uh, we, got, we got children's workers back there that are working their butts off right now. And, and the reason they're working all, their butts off right now is because nobody else will. When I first had this sign-up sign through Sign Up Genius where you could sign up to work in the children's ministry, man, it was covered up. We had people fighting. Man, I want to work back there. There's no more slots. It's all been taken up. How do I sign up for this, man? I don't want to have to wait three months before I work in the children's ministry. Sign me up today! And I got nobody calling me right now saying, there's no more slots, man. There's no more slots. If I'm not mistaken, my wife is teaching both times back there today. You know why? Because people got tired. People got tired. They said, I'm not really a good teacher, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not teach at all. Maybe I should just be quiet for a second. Sometimes the work ain't real pretty. Sometimes you got to change diapers. Sometimes you got to take care of kids with special needs back there. One of the things I have impressed upon my heart is that, that we'd be a place where people with special needs, uh, where kids with special needs can come here and they can worship and not have to worry about their child being taken care of back there. I want to be that kind of church, y'all. But I can't do it by myself. I can't stand up here and preach and go back there and take care of kids. I can't do it. We all got to do it. We all got to help build the wall. And sometimes it ain't real pretty. Some of us got to build the dung gate. I want to share with you real quickly towards the end of this particular passage in Nehemiah chapter 3. Verse 29 says this, Next Zadok, son of Emer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemani, the son of Shechani, the gatekeeper of the east gate. So what's the big deal there? What's the big deal about the east gate? Well, I'll tell you. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus came in and they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus. He came from the Mount of Olives down to the Kidron Valley up to what they call the Beautiful Gate, which what we understand now is most likely the East Gate here that was rebuilt in Jerusalem. 
Now, the thing about it is, Nehemiah couldn't go to the people working on the east gate and say, you know what? The gate that you're building right here is going to be the one that the Messiah comes through on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy about how he was going to redeem the whole world. And those beams that you're laying right there, those gates that you're putting together, they're going to be opened for the king of kings to come riding through one day. He couldn't say that to him because he didn't know. He didn't know that that was going to be the case. Let me tell you something. The work that you do right now, I can't tell you what, what's, what God's going to do through building some walls in Haiti. I, I can't tell you what God's going to do when, when you're back there working in the kids' ministry, changing dirty diapers, what God's going to do through that. I don't know. I really, I don't know. But all I know is that God's called us to do work, so I'm going to continue to do work, and God's going to do whatever he's going to do with the work that I do. That's all that I know. And you never know that one of those dirty diapers being changed back there, maybe the next great evangelist that leads hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. But I don't know. I'm just called to do the work. I'm just called to do the work. I'm going to share something with you. We're going to put up a picture of the East Gate now. This is the East Gate now. You may notice that it's closed. That it's been closed up. It's no longer accessible. Now, I don't like a lot of sensationalism, and, and sometimes I think prophecy is like, blown out of proportion and people start looking for things where there really aren't things but this is what I do know in Ezekiel chapter 44 verses 1 through 3 it says that the east gate will be sealed up that it will be closed and it, it will it will remain closed until the Messiah returns and opens up the east gate because that's the gate through which the Messiah is going to return this is the east gate right now. It's closed. You know why that happened? Because in 1517, the Turks invaded Jerusalem, and they closed the gate. They fortified the eastern wall. They, they, they shut it down, and now there's, there's a Muslim cemetery in front of the eastern wall. Now, I bet, I bet that Nehemiah didn't have a clue that that was going to be the case when they started work, working on the east gate. But this is what I know. That the God of the universe that put the very stars in the sky and the oceans on the earth and told, told them where to start and where to stop, told the mountains how high to be, he ain't going to be stopped by the Turks building of the walls that closed up the eastern gate. He's not going to come to the gate and go, oh no, I can't get in no more. He's not going to return to the earth and, 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 and get there right to the eastern gate and say, oh, they closed the door. I can't get in. I think he's going to blow it wide open. I think he's going to say, you know what? This is what I said I was going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And here I come. Now, why is that important to us? What's the big deal about that? Because he's coming back. And he's going to reward each according to what he has done. He's going to look at what work you have done. He's going to look at your list. Say, so what did you do with what I have given you? 
Did, did you invest it? Did you, did you try your best of what I had given you, even though I didn't give you a lot? Did, did you do something with it, or did you do nothing? Did you just hide it and say, I'm not very good at stuff, so I'm not going to do anything? If he's going to look at what you've done, and he's coming back, and he's coming through that gate, what is he going to see in your life? Is he going to see you working on, on the wall around your home, looking for the weak spots, doing the things that, that you can do? Using the gifts that God has given you? Or is he going to see you sitting at home watching football, taking a nap? What's the picture of your life? What's the picture of your life? Now this, you may say, well, Kenny, this is not a very encouraging message. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, you know who it's encouraging to? The six people that were on the, the verge of suicide in the past two weeks. Because it takes people that are willing to do work, to go to their houses, to talk to them on the phone, to meet with them one-on-one and say, you know what, you're not alone. Me and a bunch of other people are willing to work with you and help you and do whatever it takes to make sure that you understand that you're not alone. That's who it's encouraging to. The people that are in the hospital with premature babies or dealing with, with illness and cancer and all that kind of stuff, it's an encouragement to them because they know that, that there's a group of people out there called the body of Christ that are, that, that's going to be there to walk alongside with them and help them and do whatever they can to minister to them. That's who it's encouraging to. Let me ask you this. I, this, this is my personal request to you. Is that if, if God's called you to do something, will you come and pray about it? If you haven't been doing any work but you know that you need to, will you come and pray about it? If God's opened some doors for you to be able to do some work for the kingdom of God, will you come and pray about it? Ask him to show you what you can do. And if you're already doing something, ask him to show you what else you can do. That's, that's the time of response today. God, what can I do? As a member of your body, God, what can I do? Let me pray. Father, Lord, you've called us as your people to go and, God, to build and it's about doing work for your kingdom. It's about doing work so people can see that that is the very presence of God amongst those people. And they're going to work hard and they're going to store up treasure that is in heaven. And Lord, I just pray that we be that kind of people. That we look different from the rest of the world that wants to just sit on their rear ends and do nothing. God, but we, we are people that are actually motivated because of Christ and what he has done in our lives that we want to do something. No matter how small or how big, God, we want to do something. God, I pray that we are that kind of people. Well, there's been so many times when we get so complacent about broken down walls and we look around and we say it's no big deal, but God, it's a big deal because the work is so important. Lord, impress upon your people. God, impress upon their hearts the importance of the work, the calling in their lives, the walls that are torn down around them that they can be part of rebuilding. God, it doesn't matter how much ability they have if they would just do the work. God, you take what little we have and you do great things with it. You show us that over and over again in Scripture. So, Lord, speak to people. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, God, speak to people. God, we want to be people that work together, arm in arm with each other for your kingdom. So, God, speak right now to your people. Show them what they can do. 
May they be obedient to you as they ask, Lord, how can you use me for your glory? Father, this is your time. Move in the hearts and lives of believers, God, and, and, and bring them. God, bring them to a place of obedience with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand.